0: Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, I've asked my experts to look at the best value stocks on the market right now and the best stocks out of reporting season. And the group of stocks they've singled out are absolute rippers and many of them have a lot of upside if these people are right. Now, there's a chart on your screen right now and this explains to you why I'm interested in value stocks. The dark blue line shows large value stocks after markets crash so you can see there's a, a big uh, wedge down both on the, the light blue and the dark blue lines but then there's an enormous rebound and the dark blue lines showing value stocks they're the ones that go the best out of a crash and of course we've been in a crash and we're coming out we've got a couple of years most experts think where value stocks will actually outperform growth stock and that's why i'm looking for value stocks right now so I've asked Julia Lee of Berman Invest and June Bay Lu to give us their best investing ideas based on value stocks and what they also saw our reporting season generally. Basically, the stocks they thought looked really good of reporting season. And then Paul Ricard will give us his best value stocks and he also explains what hybrids are and why they might be hard to invest in going forward. That's the show, so let's kick off with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julian.
1: Great to be here, Pete.
0: Let's just kick off with the stocks you think have reported really well. Uh, And you've said in the past that the good reporters invariably can look good going forward. So what ones have stood out on reporting season?
1: Sure. Um, well, one we really liked was Charter Hall, um, and what I like about reporting season is that it gives us an insight not in, only into the last twelve months, but also what the next twelve months is likely to be. Um, and I guess it gives us an insight into which companies companies are in an upgrade cycle and I think Charter Hall's in a really great space at the moment. It's a fund manager in the property space and when you're looking at a fund manager you want a combination of increasing funds under management together with increasing asset values and that's really what you are seeing here at Charter Hall. They came out with a strong set of results but importantly their pipeline is also at a record high which means their development of mostly industrial and commercial assets is at a record high and that's like to lead to further growth in future years, which is great to see as well. Having a look across their funds, a number of them are doing well, which means more performance fees in the current half of the year. And also funds under management has been growing quite strongly. So look, we have seen asset values rising in the property space, which basically means property prices have been rising. And that's been great news for a property fund manager like Charter Hall. So not only has the last 12 months been great, but the next 12 months are likely to be great as well driven by that record pipeline they have in developing those industrial industrial and commercial assets.
0: And the thing is this uh, they're going to be a, a beneficial from the reopening trade aren't they because so, some of their assets that might not be look as valuable now will be hopefully when people start going back to work and occupying offices again.
1: Yeah, I think the, the strange thing uh, about this reporting season is that the REITs have been doing relatively well. So the Real Estate Investment Trust, and that's because even though we have seen lockdowns impacting, I guess, on businesses and rent collection and people being in the office, we've seen asset values rising and the property prices rising has been really good for for the, those companies that are in that property space. So property was one area that did perform well during reporting season.
0: And I, and I guess because of all the scare, scare factors over the last two years, a lot of developments haven't gone ahead, so the expected supply is probably less. And given the fact that Australia will keep on growing, it could be demands from foreign uh, organisations to get into the CBDs of Sydney and Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I think property is a really interesting one. I I take your point that there is a lot of disruption in the property space, whether you're looking at office property or even shopping centres. And one company I'm probably avoiding at the moment, even though it's um, one of those trades which should benefit a little bit coming out of lockdown, is Essentia. That's the owner of the Westfields here in Australia. And the reason for it is that when we do have the reopening, I think it's going to be the retailers that benefit rather than the landlords. The reason I say that, Pete, is is pretty sad but you know sort of driving to my local um, supermarket I am seeing a lot more stores uh, closing down and with four lease signs so when you think of that on a bigger basis I think shopping malls are going to be starting off from a smaller starting uh, base and probably less retailers. And we know that, you know, more supply usually drops prices. So, unfortunately, if we see a lot more for lease signs up, well, that's going to mean that uh, rental rents are probably going to drop in the short term. So rent outlook's not looking that crash hot. Yeah.
0: Let's go to your next good reporter.
1: I like QBE. Um, QBE is one of those ones that usually reports uh, pretty badly, um, but this this time it reported really well. And this is something that we're not only seeing from QBE, but we're seeing from global insurers, so across the world. And what we are seeing is that premiums, that is the cost of insurance, is rising. And globally, we've seen double-digit gains, which is great news for a company like QBE. Now, add into the mix that um, I guess when you have a look at the, the amount of claims, it hasn't been rising as fast as those premium increases which means that margins have been increasing and that's a really nice position to be in and look I think that trend is going to continue and not only that QBE insurance has a large exposure through the investment income part of its portfolio to bond yields it invests in bonds over in the US and Australia so at the moment you know it's not seeing a huge amount uh, coming from that portfolio so Mm -hmm. investment returns but as interest rates start to rise the investment income should start to kick in as well. So QBE insurance, I think it's in an upcycle here, looking pretty good over the next six to 12 months.
0: Okay. Any more reporters or you want to dive into your value stocks?
1: Uh, the other one, just one more, is uh, Pilbara Minerals. Look, I think this is, lithium's been on fire and Pilbara Minerals is um, is the same. And look, I really do think that this is going to continue. And that's because electric vehicle and the adoption of electric vehicles is happening a lot faster, which means that the need for lithium is growing a lot faster than anticipated. And there's not enough supply at the moment, which means that pricing should be strong in the short term. I like Pilbara Minerals. We have Oracobra as well but I like Pilbara because of its growth uh, profile and over in Western Australia today it came out with an announcement that um, it's seeing an increase in its jaw related resource and it's going to come out with a more formal estimation of that resource in October so really driving the valuation of this company. The shares fell today because we did see mineral resources selling out of its 5.3 percent stake to fund its own growth projects. Um, And so we did see some weakness in terms of the share price, but I think this weakness is a chance to pick up some of the the lithium uh, stock at Pilbara uh, relatively cheaply.
0: Okay, let's go to your value stocks that really look um, attractive.
1: Yeah, I mean, value stocks, I guess you're talking about the reopening trades. And when you have a look at reopening, you have to touch on travel but I don't think all travel is, um, is created alike. And that's because, you know, throughout the pandemic, travel companies have dealt with Delta, coronavirus, lockdowns in different ways. We know that flight centres um, shut a lot of its physical stores, so it's going to have a smaller network once reopening happens. We know that Webjet has had a massive recapitalization, so a huge dilution of its shares. The one that we like in the travel space is Qantas. Now, we like Qantas because it's focused really hard on cost cutting, which means it's meaner and leaner. And what happens when companies do this is when demand bounces back, margins are a lot bigger. So uh, Qantas, when we see conditions normalising, I think will be a much stronger company than actually pre-COVID-19. Add into the mix that it has been, concentrating more on profitability of routes rather than capacity. And I think that's a real positive for margins and profitability going forward as well. So look, I wouldn't be surprised to see Qantas trading above $6 in the next six months. Um, Webjet, you've got a bit more exposure to the UK as the US. So just watching what that's doing to travel plans, talking to someone who was in the US uh, last week, and they've been traveling for work over to the UK, over to Europe, but just recently, they've been uh, canceling some of their work travel plans because of the Delta variant. So just watching the impact that has on the short term. Um, But the other area I like is infrastructure. Look, Sydney Airports has already had a couple of non-binding indicative offers coming through. Mm -hmm. I think time is running out for that superannuation consortium to make another offer because as we get more vaccinated and travel happens, we will see normalization coming to a lot of these infrastructure companies as well. So I like Sydney Airports here. I like Transurban here as well even though Transurban in the short term does have the risk of a possible capital raising because we know that the new Southwest government is looking to sell off its stake of the West Connex uh, project. So uh, I guess uh, a lot of stocks that we've covered off on there. But my favourite, I think, in terms of the travel sector would have to be Qantas. The other one I don't mind is Hello World because they haven't decreased their franchise and their uh, retail network as much as Flight Centre has during the pandemic.
0: It's funny when you talk about Hello World, I can't forget that that was once run by Elizabeth Gaines, who left Hello World to go to Fortescue. Of course, that was a fantastic move for her. And she's avoided living through the coronavirus for a company like Hello World. She really won twice there, didn't she?
1: Yeah, I mean, Fortescue traded ex dividend today, but um, fantastic management, I think, with Hello World, and I do like the company. Um, it isn't listed in the ASX 200, so it is a smaller travel business, but I think it will come out of lockdown with a, like most of its uh, stores intact, which I think is a positive sign.
0: Thanks for your insights, Julia. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Pete. As Julia Lee coming up now is June Baylou from Tribeca Alpha Plus. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my 7 investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is June bay of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Thanks for coming to the program, June bay
2: It's always great to be on the show. Thank you, Peter.
0: All right. So I've asked you to do a couple of things. One is to uh, talk about value stocks that you think are going to do well as the economy progressively opens up. And I know, um, you know, you know, you and I in the past have talked about Qantas in the last week for last, it went up 20% you know, in a week. So obviously people have picked on the fact that things are starting to look better for flying overseas eventually and opening up the borders and whatever. But so what stocks do you think are going to benefit from a reopening of the Aussie economy?
2: Absolutely. Look, the value end is where you search for and uh, you do have to look over two-year period in terms of the earnings because, you know, company like Qantas, if you look just one year earning uh, next 12 months, you know, earning still doesn't look great, still looks a little bit expensive because we have yet to resume flying. So it is very, very cheap on a two-year view when we return to normal. So you do need to use a more normalized earning. So Qantas is still one I think that will benefit enormously from reopening of the border, not only the the, um, you know, there'll be more demand. So I think the pent up demand for overseas travel will be enormous. And also the company has took the, the um, you know, the, the opportunity to take, down, take out a lot of costs during the last 12 months. So in, in a sense, the sense that companies in the better shape uh, when we do return to a very high demand period. So that's still very good. Um, uh, there's a couple of other value ones. So Star City, uh, um, city SGR is another, um, you know, great one that we should, um, you know, look into or add to the portfolio. Uh, I know it's in the gaming space, but it is a very defensive business in the traditional sense, but it's trading very cheap because it was impacted by the lockdown. Uh, not many casinos can be opened and uh, um, and also the restaurants are all shut. But if we look at Queensland's experience for them, um, you know, the pickup uh, in in, uh, in demand has been enormous as soon as the lockdown gets lifted. So we think that one will benefit very largely and it's not expensive um, even on the next 12 month earnings. So uh, it, You know, if you look at the earning into uh, the 2023 numbers, um, it's on less than 18 times. For a defensive earning business, that is very, very cheap. This compared to West Farmer on about 30 times. Um, There's other little ones. um, Uh,
0: You're like a machine gun sometimes. uh, (laughs) The, The interesting thing about Star is that, okay, the first leg up would be Australians being able to go to Uh, the casinos, the restaurants and all their complexes. But the second leg up will be when tourists start coming back from overseas because that's going to be another leg up, isn't it, for a business like this?
2: Absolutely. So um, the demand will be enormous. So first is to travel, uh, um, the ability for locals to come over. And third, uh, second is when the border opens up, when other people come through. And there's another catalyst coming up as well. Uh, Star owns a lot of property, the hard property, and uh, that is not being revalued. So Star is actually talking about separating out, splitting out some of its property assets uh, into a separate vehicle. And that, in our view, will ca- realize a lot of value for those businesses businesses
0: yeah good point good point that's what Bunnings basically did with their um their uh, properties didn't they
2: yeah that's right we'll see more and more a company doing that especially mm-hmm. when the value is not re- realized because if you look at the pro- asset prices around the world for any asset class they have all gone up and whereas for you know some of those reopening stocks and these value just sort of sitting in there hasn't been unlocked
0: okay that's that's it now you know, put the machine gun on again and start firing away.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one is a smaller name. That's OML Outdoor Media. Um, so, look, you know, the the it, this one is um, it's on a smaller end, but it is a completely leveraged in terms of earnings to that reopening thematic. Now, ab- outdoor advertising was growing at a um, above the you know in industry sort of media spend rate in the you know the decade before this um, this COVID period, mm-hmm. simply because it is a better medium. It has digitization. Uh, it has attracted a lot of market share out of other medium. Now, COVID hit, Obviously, at the beginning, no one's driving, no one's flying, so all the billboards sort of become redundant. So, um, you know, they went through a very tough eighteen-month period. Now, um, uh, what's changed in the last little while is that OML has raised capital. Balance sheet is very, very strong um, for it to sustain a period where you know people still can't yet travel. But what we are seeing is the pent-up demand for media spend is very strong for the next two to eighteen months, and um, you know the level of interest for the outdoor media is very, very high. Um, you know, before the lockdown we saw a sharp pickup just in the month leading up to the lockdown um, you know we that would give us confidence that earning would jump very quickly um, you know share price still yet to be above pre covid periods COVID um sort of level so it's still very cheap relative to global um you know it's global peers and the industry is more consolidated as well uh Omedia is now the largest in this space so MA is very high in the space as well so you know it's well positioned and it's not expensive
0: Okay, any more before we um, put your gun away? (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think there's plenty of those value names so you can sort of put crown in that space as well but of course there's a bit of a regulatory issues and all of that um, uh, that might take a little bit longer to realize its value but again, it's the same thing um, you know sitting at nine dollars is pretty much its asset value um, and um, you know you're not really paying all that much for licenses but that's much uh, uh, sort of more deeper value has a bit more issue relative to star which is an easier play.
0: Okay. And I asked you to give us your best three stocks out of reporting season. So so what are they?
2: Yeah, so WiseTech is the one we thought the result is probably one of the best results out of the reporting season. Now, this company, um, they provide a software for, um, you know, uh, the logistics, global logistics transactions. Um, And it's been, you know, growing very fast over the years. But because it made so many acquisitions um, over the last few years, I think something close to 40 acquisitions, um, you know, so it's earnings, organic growth has been clouded with um, acquisitions. So people couldn't work out whether it's really growing. Uh, But last 12 months, it's been pretty clean. Um, they literally made one acquisition and it was tiny. And uh, you saw the organic growth of the core products being incredibly strong. And the, go- and the company is guiding to another 30 to 40% growth for this year. So, you know, it's incredible growth story. Um, yes, it's on the expensive side, but it makes good margin. And, um, you know, it's that network effect as well as uh, just reopening of the global economy will benefit this business.
0: Yeah, and Jim Elu, I know um, Julia Lee has said to me in the past, and so I'll see if you agree, that often when you find a stock that reports really well, uh, and, and the share price goes up in and around that report, you often find they do well for the, the ensuing 12 months.
2: Yeah, uh, that's true. So um, for reporting season, there's one rule of thumb is follow where the earning is going. Mm -hmm. Um, If the earnings getting upgraded, that means, um, you know, there's a very strong underlying business momentum um, within. So, you know, they may um you know share price jump 20 percent. it may do nothing for some time but you know the business is doing very well so eventually um the earnings will drive the share price higher so um it's yeah one simple rule just follow where the earnings going if it gets earnings upgrade you do want to be in those stocks Um, uh wise tech is one of those um and yeah yeah, so you know hub was another one that we saw the result was actually a lot better than expected um yeah hub hub 24. Yeah, so people were very worried about, um, you know, the cost line heading into Hub because, you know, net NetWealth talk about high cost and um, uh, Premium talked about high cost and um, Hub came out, you know, cost was higher, but it's not too bad. Um, and if you look at the revenue line um, was incredible and just the sheer momentum that is, um, you know, sort of flow going into this whole online platform, it just been incredible. Um, we think the September quarter is going to be a very big number for Hub. Um, and it is growing very fast. It's growing four times the speed as what net wealth is growing at. So we think that's one of the um, better results, much better than fiat's um, post-result.
0: Okay, one more.
2: <laughs> I was just thinking this one is, um, the the, res- the result was pretty good, but I do want to add that in. Um, it's kind of a value end as well, which is Ramsey. Now, Ramsey is the one that sort of people sort of, got left behind a little bit. Um, Don't forget that is a reopening thematic, um, this business, hospitals being impacted and now we're in lockdown. Um, You know, the hospital does get impacted because no elective surgery, but what has been happening is all the built up in the um, pent up demand, Um, you know, hospital waiting list is gonna get longer and longer. Um, So it's certainly something that you do uh, want to have position to, and it's very, very cheap relative to its other healthcare peers. Um, On average, healthcare peers trading on more than times. This one's on low 20s. um, And this used to be a premium asset. Uh, And it is also talking about separation of its, uh, uh, you know, asset as well. The, you know, the hospital uh, asset, which is sitting there over just a billion dollars. So there's a lot of value sitting within that group. And we do see that as uh, one of those stronger performers.
0: Yeah, and it has been a quality company in its lifetime. Yeah, great um, observations. Thanks for joining us, June Baylu.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Well, joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And I want to get Paul into two areas. One is he's talking about the implications of some uh, law changes that come in October 5. And, and what might be the hybrids. I'll get him to explain what hybrids are. And then I also want his best value stock. He thinks that's out there right now that might be good to purchase for future gains. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. All right. So, Paul, a lot of people don't understand hybrids. Um, in a nutshell, what's
3: a hybrid? Yeah, look, it's a bit like the motor car. Peter, we all know what a hybrid car is, I think. Yeah. Uh, hybrid security is like a cross between a share and a fixed income security. Uh, these are actually, uh, at least in Australia, the the the, the, the 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 things that come to mind are called capital notes. they issued by the major banks, uh, and they're not a they're not a term deposit. They're not a sh- share per se because there's no upside, but they do have share-like risk in the sense that you know you can lose some or all of your capital if something was to really horrifically go wrong with the bank. But you will get paid a regular quarterly distribution, uh, and that's a little bit higher, or certainly a lot higher, than you get if you put the money in the bank, but with more risk. And so they're called capital notes. They're issued by the major banks, and we're getting a whole raft of new issues at the moment, Peter.
0: Yeah, I've always thought them as being more like a bond, but they
3: they could be converted into a share if something goes wrong. Yeah, look, that's probably exactly what's been the history, Peter, because we haven't seen uh, any converted into a share because nothing has gone wrong, touch wood. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, in in almost every single case, uh, those investors in bank hybrid securities uh, get their money paid back early. So uh, we haven't seen any of those issues at all, Peter. But potentially, you know, if one of the major banks was to get into serious financial trouble, or there was a crisis in Australian banking, uh, then your, you know, effectively your fixed income type investment could actually be converted compulsorily into shares, and you'd end up with a with a smaller number of ordinary shares. So that's what gives it sort of the equity like uh, characteristics, I guess.
0: Okay, and I guess they weren't all that popular when you know financial planners or just ordinary investors could get five or six percent term deposits, but without with them not being around advisors and and other people who want fixed income have looked at these hybrids, but they have a a degree of risk. And the risk is such that out of the Royal Commission, some changes were proposed. So talk about those. uh, those
3: Yeah, look, they weren't actually proposed for this particular security, Peter, but uh, it covers all financial products that come under the issue of a PDS, outside share. So a product disclosure statement, you can invest in a managed fund, you invest in an ETF, you invest in a hybrid security You invest in, say, a mortgage fund, you know, you get a product disclosure statement. One of the recommendations of the Royal Commission uh, some years ago was that uh, issuers should say, those are the people who are trying to get you to invest, should actually say who they're designed for and who who are the suitable clients to invest in those types of products and then make sure that they're only actually marketed and distributed to those people that are suitable. So it's sort of like a well to define who's who's, who's the right market. Then make sure that um, they're only sold to those people that are really you know meet the criteria. Yeah. Uh, it's called design and distribution obligations. It was actually became law a couple of years ago, but the effective date is the fifth of October this year, and that means every issuer of uh, of a, you have a managed fund or exchange traded fund or a uh, if that matter hybrid security has to actually sit down and work out who the market, who they're suitable for, Mm -hmm. issue what's called a target market distribution statement, in other words, who they should be sold to, uh, and then make sure to the best of his or her abilities that that's that's the only people who actually end up buying them. So it's quite a big obligation issue, as you're seeing, basically anyone who's got a PDS out there at the moment will be issuing a new PDS come the 5th of October. Mm -hmm. The implications for the hybrid market are interesting, Peter, because... They've always been considered to be that extra risky security because they are you know in a way quite complex they are this cross between equity and debt mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they've got a few other little nuances about them in terms of things like uh, for example you can be automatically converted into shares if apra you know says the bank's getting into trouble and you know the interest is not cumulative if, if something goes wrong so it has a few other little nuances to them and Hybrids have been considered to be that sort of extra risky category. And, of course, what we're seeing, of course, at the moment, Peter, is ahead of this rule change or this law change is a lot of issues coming to the market because issues are getting in ahead of the law. And then no one knows what's going to happen after the 5th of October. It's possible, one scenario, is that you won't see um, these issues made available to retail investors. You'll have to be a sophisticated or a wholesale investor to be eligible And that might actually, that will drop the volume of issuance into the market, and maybe you'll see some secondary market changes, maybe some changes in liquidity. If we get less primary issuance, perhaps the secondary market will be less attractive going forward. So not quite sure how it's going to play out, but um, it's behind some issues occurring right now. Okay. At the moment, what's the the typical uh, yield or interest that people
0: are getting by being in a hybrid, just on on average?
3: Yeah, in the secondary market, if you buy them uh, on the ASX, it's about 2.5%, Peter, so not a lot. Wow. Uh, and that's over the 90-day bank bill rate. And I have to tell you, the 90-day bank bill rate at the moment is 0.01%, so don't get too excited. Yeah. Uh, has been as high, you know, back in the 90s. It's got to over 20%. That just shows you how much interest rates have moved between... Uh, Yeah, the recession we had to have in 1990 and 2021, but currently 0.01%. On top of that, you get about 2.5%. That's if you buy them in the secondary market. In the primary market, and these are these new issues, it's actually about 2.9%. So uh, a little more attractive, and, of course, it has to be to get people to invest. Uh, And we've got three issues out there. Macquarie's just come to the market, and both Suncorp and Westpac have got issues that are currently live in the market at the moment.
0: Okay, so I guess people have to hit their eyes open and make sure they know what they're doing when it comes to hybrids.
3: Yeah, cool. and just on that, Peter, look, i the two issues. I think Westpac's the pick. So uh, it closes on Friday. If you're a Westpac shareholder, uh, you can apply. So uh, there are ways that you can look about, it. And you can look at my article today uh, in the Switzerland Report that shows you where you need to go to.
0: Okay. I've been talking about value stocks today with um, my, my, my previous guests. Paul, what's your notion of a value stock? And What's, the, what's one out there at the moment you think looks like good value?
3: I always think of a value stock, Peter, as, as something that's got a pretty low PE. That's a price-earnings ratio. That's on a forecast basis. Probably something that's unloved, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a couple other metrics you could look at price-to-book value and, you know, some more traditional of those um, financial metrics we all went by. Uh, so many years ago, and you can look at those sort of ratios. So often they have pretty good dividend yields because um, they're not growing much. They're returning most of the shareholders, uh, and their price hasn't been going up. So that's meant also that the that the dividend payout ratio is probably pretty high overall. Um, so that's what I would think as a value stock. And you're right, Peter. Look, in a as you point out, you know when when growth is stronger and you're getting more cyclical growth in the economy, value stocks should do better. Mm. Give us an example of a value stock you think is out there right now. Well, for the real risk takers, Peter, I'd put AGL in that category of, as a value stock. Absolutely unloved. It's probably making new lows most days. Uh, all for good reasons. You know, wholesale energy prices have crashed. Companies going through a transition is going to be broken up. That should be a positive. But uh, a lot of people got very burnt on AGL, so I'd say that's, that's one. I think that's a high risk, but uh, I think it's it's. You know, you've got a question how far it can keep going. So I think there's value there. Another one, Peter, I'd say is Horizon. Now, Horizon is the uh, transport company that owns the uh, both above rail and below rail facilities that hauls a lot of the coal in Queensland. It's the old Queensland National Rail. It's also bought a lot of track uh, in WA in, in, in the long haulage business, the haulage of bulk commodities, but most of its revenue uh, is still tied up in the haulage of coal paying a super attractive dividend yield. It's priced very cheap, very low multiple PE basis. And that's mainly, Peter, because there's a bit of ESG selling around because it's in the coal business, at least it transports coal. And maybe people have been worried about, your know, longer term, what are the volume aspects? Because if, you know, coal becomes one of those commodities no-one wants to touch, what is that going to mean for, you know, coal volumes? Mm. To be honest, coal prices are through the roof at the moment, Peter. So, uh some of those concerns have probably been put to one side and that should lead to better volume. But look, I think that's a good value stock, um, very reliable income uh, and uh, a good one to look at there. And one that will recover uh, maybe if the, uh, yeah, certainly some of the ESG concerns are just put to one side a little bit. Okay.
0: All right, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. If you want to look at my take on value stocks, Also, go to switzerreport.com.au, take a free trial. And I've looked at six stocks that really look like good value. And many of them also have a lot of upside, presumably, if I'm right. And the analysts who I've relied on are right as well. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Thursday.